Welcome to episode number 75 of Off the Shelf. I want to welcome you to the Off the Shelf podcast. Jeff Jenkins was the pastor of Believer's Christian Fellowship in Lima, Ohio for 33 and a half years. His dad, Lonnie Jenkins, was one of the most respected teachers in the message. But seven years ago, after much soul-searching and prayer, Jeff Jenkins left the message and stepped down as the pastor of the church. Jeff was the first ex-message pastor we interviewed. You can listen to that interview in episodes four and five of Off the Shelf. We also talked to Jeff about the infamous Arizona cloud in episodes 13 through 15. We thought it would be good to have Jeff back on our podcast to talk about some of the following questions. What have been the biggest changes in his thinking since he left the message seven years ago? What has surprised him most since he left the message? Has he had any contact with other message ministers since he left? How has his ministry developed since he left the message? What is his advice to those that have left the message? And finally, we talk about what the proper approach is to religion and faith based on his experiences since leaving the message. We recorded our discussion on March 29th, 2021. I really enjoyed our discussion, and I think you will as well. I want to welcome back Pastor Jeff Jenkins to Off the Shelf. It's really good to have you back with us, Jeff. Thank you. It's a delight to be with you. Just hearing your voices, it's like old times, and I'm, I'm really consider this time very valuable. Also with us is our co-host, Tim Krause. Welcome, Tim. Thank you. Welcome, Rod. Thanks. I appreciate your time. Yes. Sir. Jeff Jenkins was a pastor in the message for about 33 and a half years. Mm-hmm. He pastored Believers Christian Fellowship in Lima, Ohio. His dad, Lonnie Jenkins, was one of the most respected teachers in the message and passed away, I'm thinking, what, about eight years ago, Jeff? Yeah, exactly. It was uh, I came out of the message one year after he had passed away, so it was eight years ago. Jeff and I were friends back in the message. I first met Jeff at Cloverdale Bible Way in the mid-70s, Yeah, and we hit it off right from the first time we met. I mean, uh, bingo. Jeff and I drove across the U.S. in his, I think it was a Mazda? Yeah, a little Mazda 6. <laughs> I remember getting pulled over for speeding in, I think it was South Dakota or maybe Iowa. You were South Dakota, and you were driving. <laughs> I was. I. I. I, I walked in. I got into the police car. What a shock! <laughs> and I was being lectured about the sin of speeding by the officer. And I appreciate. <laughs> I was a pretty young guy at the time. I looked at the car, at Jeff's car, and Jeff was all the way into the back seat with his camera, and he was taking a picture <laughs> of me and the police officer in the car, through the rear window of the car, and I just about lost it. I'm trying not to laugh, and this police officer is lecturing me, and he says, you know, if you speed, you won't get there any faster. And I'm going, I'm not sure that's how the law of physics works, but, you know, I appreciate I was speeding, and I told him, yes, I realized I was speeding. Did you get a ticket? Well, here's the thing. 
Tim, there was no way the officer wanted to give me a ticket because I had a British Columbia driver's license. I was driving Jeff's car, which had Washington state plates. It wasn't my car. Right. He would have been filling out paperwork for an entire day just to process yeah. the ticket. He let me off with a warning. That's funny. <laughs> and a lecture, I'll, it sounds I'll, like. Yeah, I'll yes, a, a lecture. I was in Jeff's wedding party when he married Debbie in Salem, Oregon. Yeah. I will never forget your father-in-law passing out during the ceremony. Yes. I've never seen a pastor pass out during a marriage ceremony. But your dad took over without hardly missing a step. Although right. I remember that you had to get remarried after the actual ceremony because your dad was not licensed to marry anyone in Oregon. And your father-in-law, who was uh, registered, finally came to and, uh, and remarried you or married you properly, according to state law, after the ceremony. Yeah, he, he married us in the girls' bathroom. Uh, it was the only place that had a couch so he was laying out flat in the girls bathroom so we walked in there and debbie and i got married in the girls bathroom yep. <laughs> i spoke at jeff's church at, on at least one occasion i had a seminar i did on financial planning from a biblical perspective a lot of water under the bridge jeff yes i mean some really 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 good memories <laughs> when i started having serious questions about the message i stopped over in lima for the weekend, it was in early 2012. I was in Washington, D.C. I actually think we had a meeting with the IRS commissioner and the deputy secretary of the treasury. I was working on some really interesting things. I was headed down to San Antonio, Texas for meetings with the Ripley's, believe it or not, corporate people in Austin, Texas. So I phoned Jeff and asked if it was okay if I visited for the weekend. And I remember asking Jeff and Lonnie a lot of tough questions that weekend. And the response I got was, those are really good questions, Rod. Yeah. But both you, Jeff, and your dad admitted that you didn't have any real good answers for me. No, we had seen those things, but dismissed them under the mantra of he's vindicated and we're not. And we never delved any further. But then it, it was a definite turning point when you came and basically solidified what I was feeling, because I had just got done about eight months before preaching on the cloud in my church and how that William Branham was not there, that he was, he was in Tucson. He just got back from Texas. And yeah, that was, of course, hard for my church to grasp. And I was already having some misgivings. And then when you came along, it was a catalyst. And, and that was my last ditch attempt to stay in the message. I, I thought yeah. if you guys couldn't answer my questions, I really was already out in my head. Yeah. But as a conservative accountant type, I couldn't officially leave until I talked to everyone who might be able to solve my problem. Yeah. And I was asked to effectively leave the message church that I attended about two months later. Yeah. yeah. Jeff was the first former message pastor that we interviewed on the Off the Shelf podcast. And if any of our listeners are interested in Jeff's story, you can hear it on episodes four and five of Off the Shelf. Jeff and I also had a deep, in-depth discussion of the infamous cloud on episodes 13, 14, and 15 of Off the Shelf. Yeah. I want to finish my introduction by saying that Jeff Jenkins is one of the few message pastors who looked at the facts, 
examined all of the research and recognized the truth. While most message pastors are too afraid to actually look at the evidence, Jeff faced it head on and at much personal cost, chose to follow the truth and chose to follow Jesus. Jeff, I am proud to have you as a friend. I have a huge amount of respect for the difficult decision you made, and I really do love you, Brother Jeff. Well, thank you, Ron. I appreciate those words. Jeff, let's get into it. You left the message about seven years ago. Yeah. I, I know that my understanding of Scripture and how I look at the church and the gospel has changed dramatically since I left the message. What are the biggest changes in your thinking? You've now had a chance to process this over the last seven years. What are the biggest changes in your thinking? Brother Branham had a tendency to lump everything into a we-they category. And so we're the bride, they're the foolish virgin, or we're the bride and they're cannon fodder, or we're the bride and they're the worldly nominal church, or so on. Brother Branham categorized the church is two different things, either the harlot system and then the mother harlot being the Catholic church. So the Protestants were the harlot system. I should say the Protestants were the harlot system. The Catholics was the mother of all harlots. And of course, taking that out of Revelation 17 and 18. Of course, now I look at that and I can't believe I believe that. But this is what cults and cult leaders do. They demonize everybody else while they lift themselves up on the shoulders and the work of other great people. And they demonize those people. So my stance today concerning other churches is that I really don't actually anymore see churches or systems. I see individuals in churches. So I no longer see, yeah, I don't see Catholics or Protestants. I don't see Baptists or Methodists. I have now had the opportunity to be in in many, many, many different assemblies. And in my going to them, I was touched by the sincerity the love, the devotion, and particularly the humanity. The message thought, and even I thought I had a degree of humanity. But when I look back now, we were not fulfilling what Jesus said when he said, who is my neighbor? The message people were not looking out for the poor or the needy or the underprivileged, or the the powerless. The message people weren't interested in that at all. They were the bride. In reality, all I saw for the good last 10 years while I was in the message was merely church individuals, message people, switching to other message churches. There was no outreach. There was no touching the neighborhood. There was no really, really true evangelism. So when I look now, I see probably the most amazing thing that I saw and and witnessed while I've been visiting all these other churches was the healthy respect that the people had for their pastor, but they didn't worship the pastor. In the message, William Branham illegitimately illegitimately in the message, he empowered the pastors, calling them the spiritual husband of the church, calling them the pastors of an entire city, like Elijah was Jezebel's pastor, quote unquote, referring to the sovereignty of the local, or the pastor as the absolute sovereign local authority of the local church. So all of this was wrong. Brother Branham 
empowered the pastors and then the pastors empowered him. And so it was cronyism at its best. And so now I have a great appreciation for all these churches who are struggling to figure out in the 21st century how to witness to a world that is getting darker and how to touch their lives and to do that without compromise and at the same time to be effective and salty. And I I tip my hat to them. And I'm appreciative. Almost every Sunday, they're doing something for somebody or some other church. And that's something we didn't do in the message. And most of the time in the message, there was more infighting than there was actual unity. And I, I hate to say that, but it's absolutely the truth. And, and of course, that empowering of the pastor is not biblical. You, no. you can't find it in scripture. No. no uh, interesting thing you said about the poor, because in Galatians chapter two, Paul says he talks about Peter and James and John, uh, who yeah. are called esteemed pillars of the church. And yeah. They gave Barnabas and Paul the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace that had been given to Paul. And they agreed that Paul should go to the Gentiles, and they would continue to preach to the Jews. And then it says something really interesting. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I, Paul, had been eager to do all along. And the context of those verses is that they were asking themselves, and we were just talking about this with Tim and yourself, what do we bring over from the Old Testament? And they finally said, you know what? We can't bring anything over. Initially, they said, don't eat things strangled. And then they said, don't eat meat that was offered to an idol. And then they finally even said, you know what? We can't even really say that you can't eat meat that was off, that was, that you can buy meat that was going to be sold in the shambles that was formerly offered to an idol. They didn't bring anything over from well, the. And I've done a lot of studying because I remember when I left the message and started really reading the Bible and really understanding, like, I'd never seen this stuff before. How come nobody preached about it? And what I was reading in Acts chapter 15, for example, what you just quoted, and they said, okay, so what laws are the Gentile churches supposed to keep? And they had these four things. Don't eat roadkill. Don't eat things strangled. Don't eat black pudding or blood sausage or any blood. Don't eat meat sacrificed to idols and don't commit sexual immorality. And yeah. those four things are actually what the Jews considered to be the Noahic covenant. So this is the laws that were given to Noah. And the yeah. reason that the apostles gave this to the Gentile churches was not to say, okay, if you do this, then God will be happy. It was actually because if you did these four things, then the Jewish believers, these were the four laws that Gentiles living in the land of Israel were yep. supposed to keep so that they would get along with the Jews and the Jews who were under the law wouldn't get super upset with the Gentiles. And so yep. the reason for these four things was so that the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers could coexist reasonably peacefully. And so we wouldn't as Gentiles stumble the Jews and not be able to at least bring them to the concepts of Christ. And I also I agree with you when you say that the old covenant doesn't apply at all. In Hebrews, it actually talks about the old covenant passing away, and it's under the bridge, and it's old, and it's now over. We had a discussion, which I just posted on the podcast, the debate, a discussion that we had with Jesse Smith. 
He would say, well, the Ten Commandments, you have to obey them. But but we're not under the Ten Commandments. Now, if you look no. at my life and you say, well, do you steal, Rod? Is it okay to steal? No, it's not okay to steal. But the reason why I say the Ten Commandments don't apply, the reason that I don't steal is not because God tells me do not steal. The reason I don't steal is because under the new covenant, I'm told by Jesus, I have to love everybody. Yeah. That love is what is required of me as a Christian. Yes. When we love others, how am I going to steal from somebody I love? Exactly right. We've talked about the first five are God word of the commandments and the last five are man word. And so if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and body, and your neighbor as yourself, you will fulfill the Ten Commandments. Yeah. It's evidence that as Christians, we find the Ten Commandments just by the very statement you made, Jeff, we find them self-evident. It's not yes. important. It's not important for us to have them written down in front of us. They are self-evident because we love Jesus with all our heart. Exactly. Yeah, that's why you not even a government or court system can honestly mandate the Ten Commandments. It takes a new birth. It takes an experience with Christ to see those things fulfilled. We have to have laws, and I appreciate the fact that our systems still respect the Ten Commandments to some degree, but it's got to be Christ on the inside working out those eternal truths. And then, of course, that is legitimate. That is genuine. That's not something you're putting on from the outside. It's something from the inside out. That goes back to our earlier discussion about, as an example, when the New Covenant versus the New Testament came into being, because there's a lot of confusion between those words. What's the New Testament versus the New Covenant? What's the Old Covenant versus the Old Testament? There's a lot of confusion because if you look at the King James versions and some of the interpretive versions, there's an interchange to some degree of the words Testament and Covenant incorrectly when we talk about the division of the books of the Bible versus the difference in the relationship between God and Oh, totally. Yeah, and that's what it's going to boil down to. The law separated man from God, whereas Christ caused us to rebuild relationships with God via Christ and then enhance our relationships with our wives and wives with our husbands and our children. It, It literally made everything new. Yeah, that's, uh, that's that's a really important. This is not just something that's in the message. It's something that in quite a number of evangelical churches where they take things out of the old covenant and bring them into the new. For example, you know, a lot of people in the U.S. want to have the Ten Commandments put in courthouses. Why wouldn't you want the words of Jesus instead? It's right. this marriage that we have to the old covenant. We want laws. Laws are easier to check off. Yep, they are. And what's sad about laws and what's sad about the message is that it makes God impersonal. So as soon as you have to dress a certain way, look a certain way, if I put a little too much mascara on, someone's going to say I'm not born again. And all these externals take away the personal walk and make it into a group walk, whether they say with their mouth, no, I have a personal walk with Jesus. They literally don't because they're going to be examined from the preacher on down to the janitor as to how they look. External holiness is holiness of the Pharisees. Yes, It is things you can check off. It is not internal holiness, which is I am set apart for God. Pharisees ask the question, am I breaking the law? Is this sin? Whereas what we're required to ask ourselves under the new covenant 
is what does love require of me? Yes. And, and don't you find that what I love about that is, is it challenges me on a much deeper level because exactly. now it's just me and the Lord. And I'm saying, and maybe a woman would say, I've left the message. And now, you know what? I'm going to go paint the town red. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to wear what I want to wear. I'm going to cut my hair this way. And I'm going to wear these kind of earrings because Brother Branham said they're the devil's hoops. And I'm going to, and I'm going to, and so they react and they, instead of responding, and they go to extremes. What's interesting is this after they simmer down, after they mellow, after they deconstruct all the falseness of what they were formerly under, they come back and they say, now, Lord, what would you want me to do? And it's then it's freedom based. It's not system based. Yeah. Liber liberty in Christ versus assembly or liberty in Christ as opposed to conformity to a law or a written group of regulations. It yeah, really is. And, and interestingly enough, as you know, when you study cults, most all cults come from the Old Testament. They use priests, they use prophets, they use bishops, they use all forms of hierarchical authority to dominate the people. But they don't refer to the Holy Spirit as the teacher, as the unction, as the anointed one. You have to go through them to get special revelation and teaching when the Holy Spirit is the amen in our heart. And doesn't that minimize Christ's sacrifice on the cross to become that perfect sacrifice for us? The thing that's always bothered me about that in terms of the message is now we take Christ and we say it, his sacrifice to usher in a new relationship based on grace with God based on the Holy Spirit, based on leadership of the Holy Spirit, it absolutely is minimized, particularly when William Branham comes out and says that, that the spirit of Pentecost did not work for the day today. Then if that's true, then the crucifixion of Christ didn't work for today, right? Because and that's, that's what that is. So at the end of the day, that's the kind of scary part about the minimus. And you'll have people in the message say, oh, no, 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 no. I'm a Christian because I'm saved through the Jesus Christ. Not if you think you have to have the message for your day, which absolutely minimizes the sacrifice of Christ on the cross to usher in the new covenant, right? It's, it's hyper-dispensationalism. Because whenever you have to have a messenger in your day, the 21st century, to hearken back to the effectiveness of the cross, then it requires that that dispenser of revelation. And then, of course, you're going to have Wesley as a dispenser. And you're going to have Martin as a dispenser. And Columbo as a dispenser. And then Paul as a dispenser. And so all of a sudden, you do have mediators. You don't have Christ alone anymore. You have mediators. And that's again, is taking it away from the personal walk. I need this other person in order to truly be born again. And that's right. also man injected into the new birth. Anytime man is injected, it becomes fear-based. And so your comment about group salvation versus individual salvation, right? Because right. now we have an idea that if we, and nobody in a message church that I remember, and you guys can kick me under the table if you remember something different, nobody wanted to admit that they did not have the Holy Spirit. So of course they were going to behave in a way which they were told is evidence of the Holy Spirit. Correct. Because there was all these externals that evidence that, which is Pharisees, like Rod said. And Jesus comes along and says, if you even have ill will in your heart and hate your brother without a cause, you've committed murder. 
And so it was Jesus judged things on an entirely different level. And we, in the message, inadvertently or deliberately through Brother Branham, went back to externalisms because, as Rod said, it's the checklist. It's easier. Right. Yeah. And it leads to some really strange things. One of the things, that, and I like logic. Logic actually mm -hmm. comes from God. If you actually look at it, there are rules of logic. You can't contradict. You can't believe two things at the same time that contradict, contradict each other. So when exactly. I looked at the message logically, as I started looking at it, message believers, and, and William Branham taught this, that each church age had its own messenger to that age. Right. And he also taught that in order to be saved, you had to believe the messenger's message for that age. Yeah. As a result, and, and we know that several of the church age messengers believed and taught the classic doctrine of the Trinity. Right. William Branham clearly taught that the doctrine of the tr Trinity was satanic. So message believers have to accept and have to accept that because he said that, thus saith the Lord. Yep. But as a result, in some of the ages, because some of the messengers were Trinitarian, if you didn't believe the Trinity doctrine, you were lost. So according to William Branham's logic, some Christians in the past had to believe satanic doctrine or they were lost. Yeah. Which is completely yeah. bizarre. It's, it's literally counterintuitive to what he taught, which I found Brother Ram's teachings to be so circular. It is literally dizzying, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It well, really even is. speaking about the Trinity, he didn't teach that. He taught the Trinity for a while. Then he did teach that the Trinity was of Satan. And then he went back to the Trinity's okay. One of the issues with the message of William Branham is there needs to be a red letter edition to tell us which of those statements that William Branham made is the right statement because they're contradictory within three different groups of and, and he even alludes to the Trinity in a positive way after. 63, which everybody said that was a line of demarcation and anything right. before 63 was fallible or could be fallible after exactly 63 right. was thus saith the Lord. And yet he pandered to the churches that he was in at the time. So Jeff, what has surprised you most since you left the message? You've been out now for seven years. What was something that you never expected to find out that, that now you're surprised is, is in fact the case? That brings us to the end of this portion of our discussion with Jeff Jenkins. We will play the remainder of the discussion in further episodes of Off the Shelf. As always, if you have any questions, please go to our website at offtheshelf.life. There is space for comments and questions at the bottom of each episode. Or you can send us an email at rod at offtheshelf.life. Please let us know if there are any issues or questions that you think we should address or someone we should consider interviewing. Thank you very much for listening. And remember that God loves you and is not afraid of your questions. Have a great week.